another episode of Murder, Myth, and Mystery. I am your host, Eric, along here with Mary. Hello. And Janine. Hey, guys. So, welcome back, everybody. Uh, We had quite the event in Utah here just recently. Uh, So, did any of you guys see the alien attack that happened in Salt Lake City? <laughs> I didn't, but I did see it on Facebook. I was so I was legit. making my welcome signs. Yeah. <laughs> she was too, she thought it was tonight. She got her date oh, messed up. Damn. Yes. Thought it was tonight. Yeah, so here in Salt Lake on uh, uh, the 17th, we had uh, some uh, alien visitors, it would seem. Uh, there's a lot of people that we know on Facebook posted video of it. Um, there's mysterious lights that showed up over Salt Lake City. Uh, they, You can see them kind of moving, and then they kind of stop, go in a different direction, etc. Very mysterious. Very mysterious, but it also looks like you, you can't really tell about the angle. There's different angles of it, so you can't really tell what the trajectory is from most of them mm-hmm. um there's a couple theories that are out there um aliens aliens, is aliens. obviously one of them um, another one would be a satellite there was talk that it was probably a satellite coming back into orbit and yeah, breaking the Utah, up uh, nasa sponsor said it was a satellite Right. Could, and, well, could correction, be. Could be. A and then satellite. somebody, I saw somebody posted something about because the U of U football game was last night that it was skydivers, uh, you know, like a formation. It was for the football game, I guess. For real. They had lights on there. Yeah, like some kind of, you know, f- like flares or something like that on their on on their dive. But they in. were so bright, like. It was pretty I, damn bright. Yeah. I don't get it, but. Okay, I need to get on Facebook more. We should ask our friends who are, who went to the game. Like Pam went. Yeah, yeah, Pam might uh, be able to answer that question. She's probably for us. drunk. Yeah, that's a good point. You mean still, like now? Uh, <laughs> Hi, Pam. We love you. She was then and is now probably. Uh, we'll wait for her to comment. We I don't won't know. Mention this until we'll have her come. To <laughs> so those are the three big theories about what happened in in Salt Lake City on the seventeenth. So. Uh, either a broken satellite uh, coming back into orbit here or coming back into the atmosphere and burning up skydivers or aliens. Mm-hmm. Not sure which one. And we'll post uh, a video of it yeah, on yeah. the group page. Um, on a fun, scary note, Mary and I went and saw the It movie, the mm. new It cover. And no, thank you. I enjoyed it. No. I, I really liked it. Uh, it stayed true for the most part, to yeah, the, the original source material. It felt it did feel like a bit of nostalgia from the old miniseries for those of us that are old enough to have seen the old mm. miniseries. There's one. a miniseries? It was mm-hmm. a TV. Made mini- for TV. The made for TV thing. with It was a two-part series, the Tim Curry one. Like in the 90s. Oh, I thought that was an actual movie movie. No, it was a made for TV event. It was, oh. yeah, it was two episodes. Uh, well, that makes sense why the Walton boy was in it. Right. Yeah. Seth Green <laughs> was in it when he was a kid. It's back when you recorded them on VHS. <laughs> right. Oh, well before uh, DVRs. Yeah, we're talking like 1990, I think. 1991. No, it's pretty good. I had really low expectations because like a bunch of my friends and some coworkers had seen it and they just said it was kind of hilarious. Oh, yeah. Well, it is funny. It has the the kids are great. The interaction between the kids is fantastic because they do talk like a bunch of thirteen year old boys. <laughs> uh, you know the the way they trash talk each other and everything else. It was like, it's really funny because we went on a double date with our friends Kevin and Ashley, and we were picking out each other's characters right yeah <laughs> eric was the one that i was always referencing how big his dick was <laughs> the mouth yeah he's Who's- like oh i drew the lowest or the smallest straw but if we were going off dick size <laughs> and then kevin was the 
Oh, he was the uh, hydro the the or the, the 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 kid with the asthma, Bill. Yeah, the, yeah. He, who had multiple fanny packs. Or oh no, not fa- Bill then. Uh, no. Yeah, I can't fanny remember. packs, and was just really funny and worried about Eddie. germs and everything. It's funny because <laughs> Ashley was the one who's like, "That one's Kevin." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, they did a really really good job, and just I like was the miniseries, they're as the Jew. <laughs> Just like That's the uh, the miniseries, it's being split into two parts. So, you know, they're going to have the second part, like, in a year or two or whatever. But I thought the clown was really good. Pennywise was, was awesome. Really they did a great job. I didn't think job. it was scary at all. But I, if, no? if you hate clowns, yes, then yes. It's probably... intense. I'll give it that. It's not like, oh, spooky, this clown or whatever. It's really intense, though, is what it is. And so they and they did a great job with some of the special effects mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, just really, they, they upped the creep factor with it. So they did a good job there. Also, I finally watched the uh, first episode of American Horror Story, and they the, brought that clown back. Oh, oh, on the new season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I hate that. <laughs> I was like, I thought... the new season? I, I haven't watched the second one yet. I'm I'm kind of partial right now. I think the second season, or the... Se- I apologize. I think the second episode got a little better, because after the first episode, I was like, fuck, if I want to see, like... Political... This, yeah, yeah. Like, I Turn on just the watch news. the news. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm. I, I'll watch the second one and then. Re- I think Erica did great. That the second one was a little better. It was a little better. Yeah. Uh, the whole like, ugh, are we really going to go down this road with yeah. politics and stuff? Yeah. During the first episode, but yeah, it, it definitely had a different feel by the second episode. You're starting to get a little more. I don't know depth into the characters and stuff like that. Um, Good. Yeah. I, I hope it's not too. Go ahead. Political because yeah. I'm just like like I said I'm not into it anyways. I already hate the way. <laughs> the world right. is going i don't want right. to watch it i want to turn out when i'm watching something right. yeah you want to tune all that yeah. out yeah yeah and i i get annoyed with the 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 screaming the lady that screams all the time oh yeah yeah, yeah the I main get, girl yeah. i like her i don't even know her name oh she's a great actress. Sarah i like her Paulson? yeah sarah yes, paulson yeah. i like her as an yeah, actress I, I like everything she's done but the screaming man oh I, I felt bad for eric like after the first it doesn't get any better in the second episode okay. there's a spoiler alert and i'm just like yeah I'd divorce this bitch in a second. <laughs> i don't have the patience yeah for it. that would be me to be like you're crazy okay, bye, i'm bye. done <laughs> and now we all know my tolerance level <laughs> right yeah no yeah sarah paulson is a great character and, and, and a great actress but and a lot of that is just it's the character it's not her obviously it's an Very actress it's the character this character yes. is overly... well and she does well mm-hmm. she does a good job at it yeah uh your cat's attacking me yeah loki does that yep loki is scary just try to ignore well, him well there's a reason he's named loki <laughs> so yeah loki is a big beautiful main coon he's craving and some flesh he's a total <laughs> asshole he needs so. blood. He, he, he has his low on. He's like stuck in my shirt. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Uh, one other thing I just want to say, we've had a lot of people post on Sorry. the Facebook page the other day about uh, wanting t-shirts and stickers and mugs, etc. for the murder myth mystery stuff. So. Did you see? I know you've been on a work trip, so you probably haven't been on a lot. But uh, yeah, there's some pretty funny ones. Um Oh God, I can't even think. Like they want they the want cows, the, the, the morning period. They, they want the <laughs> unknown pervert. Unknown pervert. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Words are hard. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> what was the oh death and tacos? Yes, hell yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yours, yours was one of the quotes I got. 
leadership skills. I'm management and material. I'm sexy as and hell. Sexy as hell. <laughs> and then my comeback, I got skills. I like tacos and I drink beer. <laughs> yeah, that's so that awesome. Yeah, we've had some pretty great suggestions. And just so you folks know, we uh, you know we are kind of tying toying around with possibly doing something to that effect. We don't know yet if we're going to and whatnot, but it's definitely something that we want to look into and see if it's something viable. So if we do go down that road, obviously we'll let every, let everybody know. But as it stands right now, we, we don't have any plans to do it, uh, but we are looking at <laughs> it. But it sounds really fun. It does. I would wear all those shirts. Me too. Right? <laughs> Someone uh, said corgis and wine bottles. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Corgis and wine bottles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the unknown pervert, personally. That's, yes. that's, that's still my favorite. Speaking of unknown pervert, guys, <laughs> guess what? 43 days until Halloween. And I what know. What does it have to do with unknown pervert? Okay, that's, but that's when the unknown pervert. Is that what you're going to be for Halloween? Yes, <laughs> you're going to be an unknown pervert for Halloween. That's hysterical. Or morning period. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to wear all black with like a black veil and then just be all bloody. <laughs> a morning period. That is actually brilliant. That's funny. Uh, be a, a, never mind. I almost. Got I wanted really to decorate though today for Halloween, and Eric likes no. Yeah, no. Olivia's been trying to decorate since September. It so. is September. Yeah, since the beginning of oh, September. Oh, okay. Yes. So <laughs> Halloween is my jam. It's my favorite month. Yeah. I'm yeah. so excited. And uh, our our exchange student keeps saying, "No, it's scary." <gasps> it's oh, scary. yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. But she comes from Japan, where everything is like that's what ten I keep times saying. more messed up. That's what I keep saying. I'm like, you're from Japan. You're supposed to be you sh- like. You should ask her. if She knows about Kuchisakiana. I'll ask her. Yeah. I'll ask her. Mm, the slip mouth woman. Probably scares, it'll scare her. Right. I kind of want her to like, cause she's, she does have that really long, thick black hair. Yeah. I want her to be the grudge. Oh, that but would be awesome. Yes. She, I don't know if she'll do. Either do she, the grudge thing or the Samara from the ring. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. She gets super scared easily. So I don't know if she'll do it. Have her climb down the stairs doing the little. <laughs> Eric was making fun of me the other day. He went to watch TV and the recommendations all came up with true crime documentaries. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I know who didn't sign into her own profile. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> but I was like, don't, like, don't come at me. I watch documentaries all the time in uh, cartoons. Documentaries and cartoons. And it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, okay, yeah. so I watch I documentaries, cartoons. The documentaries are interesting, though, man. Rested Development. Oh, yes. Love love a little bit. <laughs> okay, you're starting to sound like the jerk here. All I need is this paddleboard game, this remote control, and this ashtray, and that's all I need. <laughs> all right. Hey, guess what's coming up on Thursday? Uh, What? Our first of two episodes of Jack the Ripper. Yes. Yes, we did a... Thanks, Yomi Abawa. We did a panel that was uh, with a bunch of our friends that came over to do this uh, panel on who they believe is the their favorite suspect uh, that is Jack the Ripper. Now, you guys know, we try to stay away from the big boys when it comes to the serial killers and whatnot. So don't be expecting us to go down Bundy or uh, you know, Dahmer or any of those guys well, anytime soon. someone wants to do it as a mini-sode. Maybe as a mini-sode or something like that, right? But we so try to stay away from them. again to our mini-sode host. No, I get it. I get it. Uh, but with Jack the Ripper, it's fun because we don't really, we don't know who the killer is. And so we had a bunch of friends over to talk about well, it well i i do but you know janine knows who it is <laughs> yes. i'm just saying every all of them thought they knew who it was but anyway no, no i cleared my guy oh that's right you that's did right, you cleared you're it. free i don't want to say who it is but 
You're free. Anyway, it was we had enough uh, <laughs> enough great discussion about it that it'll be a two part. So the next two minisodes will be this panel, part one and part two of the Jack the Ripper panel. So and then I just want to add on to that. It will be October, and October is going to be all about like crimes, mysteries, myths that like focus around Halloween or took place in October, and it's Pam's birthday month and our present to her is doing a mini-sode for every week in October. Pam wants her. to do every mini-sode for the yep, whole she month. She wants to. That's, that's fantastic. That's the goal. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but she we're going to see. She is a very busy person. She is. is she? she is. I don't know. <laughs> I, it seems like it. <laughs> I mean, she sent me a Snapchat yesterday of drinking beer in the showers. <laughs> <laughs> I love shower beers. <laughs> I just love Pam. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, and I like wow. that you said beers. Pam is probably just beer. like rolling her eyes beers. and I will expect Plural. a Snapchat or or text from her when she hears this. <laughs> okay, are you guys All ready? Right. Yeah, let's go ahead and jump in. So Mary's going to start us off with murder this week. That's right. I have murder and I'm going to be talking about the Lonely Hearts Killers. Yep. Plural. Now I'm talking about Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck. Let's go over some background of our killers. Fernandez was born December 17, 1914, in Hawaii to Spanish parents. Shortly thereafter, they moved to Connecticut. When he was 20, he moved to Spain to live and work with his uncle on his farm. While there, he married and had four children, all who, all who he abandoned later on in life. <clears throat> and sorry, I am kind of losing my voice, so I have like two cough drops in my mouth. <laughs> You guys have been screaming too much at each other. Right. I could hear it all the way at the street on my way over. We're basically punching Judy. <laughs> no, for sure. It's just that role play, you know. <laughs> Nobody wants to know that. <laughs> yeah, no. He's like, don't make me wear the maid out- outfit again. <laughs> you will wear it. You just and so- you will like it. You just look so damn cute. <laughs> that little skirt. I work it. <laughs> all right. So, Fernandez served in World War II as one of Spain's merchant marines, but then found work with British, uh, British intelligence as a spy. Since, you know, you're a spy, not too much is known or shared from Spain's Defense Security Office. And at one point, they said he was entirely loyal to the Allied cause and carried out his duties, which were sometimes difficult and dangerous, extremely well. After the war, he decided to go home to America and seek work. On his way back to America, while going up to the deck, a steel hatch fell on top of his head, fracturing his skull and injuring um, his frontal lobe. The injury caused a severe uh, indentation on his skull and also damaged his brain. Well, duh. got some brain damage. Mm Mm-hmm. When the ship docked in New York City, he was admitted to the hospital from December 1945 to March 1946. Now, Fernandez, who once was a courteous, social, and caring for his fellow man type of guy, was now moody, easily angered, and would make nonsense ramblings. Now, we all know that the brain is a delicate instrument. The reports say he was damaged, like he had damaged the frontal lobe, um, this is like the fucking control panel of your brain. So the frontal lobe controls our memory, emotions, problem solving, um, 
judgment, impulse control, along with social and sexual behavior. Um, you can recover from damage, but it's going to take a lot of, you know, a long time. And if it's severe, as in this case, full recovery may not even be an option. Now, upon his release, Fernandez stole clothing and was actually caught and then went to jail for this petty theft crime. In jail, his cellmate was a Haitian um, who taught Fernandez black magic and bedside voodoo. I miss <laughs> the bad side of voodoo. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> what the hell is I almost spit again onto the mic. I <laughs> bedside, bedside voodoo. Bedside voodoo? What is this? <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> and we learned... Voodoo yes. is a religion. Well, that's why I s- but she also said there's there a dark bad side. side yes. So that's why I said bad side, and but bedside. apparently it came out bedside. <laughs> it's like bedside. I, I did. This is I was... why I should not write things late at night. <laughs> right as I was taking a drink once again. <laughs> okay. So I meant the bad side of voodoo. <laughs> but now I'm really intrigued on the bedside of it. <laughs> Me too. I'd like uh, to learn more. <laughs> later on, Fernandez claimed black magic gave him power over women and made him irresistible. All right. So he was released later in 1946. He moved in with his sister who lived in Brooklyn. And his big plan was to use his new found craft in voodoo sexual enticement to get women to do what he wanted. So real quick, I'm just curious. Let's say you're on a taco dinner date. <laughs> a taco dinner or date. Or whatever hey, dinner date It you happens. Are. I took a date to a taco stand once, so. That was me. It Thank was like you. $1 tacos. Wow. You are a cheap date. I know. You're All classy. Right. I love I know. you. <laughs> um, I mean, just whatever dinner date, okay? Doesn't uh, have to be tacos, but okay. it should be. <laughs> when your date goes to pay for your dinner, let's say a business card falls out and it says voodoo sexual enticement specialist. <laughs> What's your thoughts? <laughs> I would like to learn more about that bedside voodoo, please. Oh. <laughs> Janine's going home. Janine's going home with him. Why, why does this guy remind me of the that guy that like teaches men how to score any woman that right, they want or yeah. whatever? And he looks like a total douche. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a it's like a weekend retreat. Yeah, Re- yeah. Reprieve? Sure. Retreat? Re- whatever. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just curious. Um, back to the story. The year again is 1946. Believing he had this quote unquote magic over women, he started writing letters to ads in the Lonely Heart sections of newspapers. And for those that don't know, once upon a time before the internet, <laughs> before mobile devices with dating apps in the palm of your hand, people would have to write letters to find love so do you guys remember these ads do you remember i think i caught like the tail end of it i don't remember I don't lonely remember hearts them. things at all I remember if i was few. around this time i would have been lonely in a spinster because i probably wouldn't have done it yeah. and then when they got my letter they wouldn't have been able to read it because i write like a six-year-old <laughs> a six-year-old boy at that it's true it's a boy like girls have such pretty penmanship you would not know it was coming from me <laughs> did you ever do an ad no oh no i was way too young at the time but i think i remember reading some of the ads like um. in the paper and if you remember bell gunnis actually did uh, lonely hearts stuff let's she- not talk about bell gunnis i'm a little bit i don't about know that wow. one too. should i know who that is yeah she was the <laughs> black widow 
Wow. I'm kidding. Okay. No, she's not. I don't think she is. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, anyway. Uh, well, he would meet up with the ladies, date, you know, the old wine and dine. And after a while, he would gain their trust. He would steal their money, jewelry, and then just disappear out of their lives. Because most of these women were deba- uh, embarrassed on how they met and what happened to them. Uh, he wasn't reported to the police that often, meaning he could do this over and over again. Oh, wow. Yep. So, in 1947, there was one romance with Jane Thompson, who had reportedly uh, separated from her husband. Well, Fernandez and Thompson, being the new lovebirds that they are, traveled to Spain together, all on her dime. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> And real quick, there was actually reports that he had married her, and other documents just said that they traveled and checked into places as husband and wife. I couldn't really find a single, like, confirmation on that. Okay. Either way, they traveled along the Spanish countryside and finally came back to his town where his wife and kids were. Well, he introduced Jane to them, and for a bit, it seemed like the three adults were getting along fine. They were going out, eating, seeing the sights. Well, that changed on November 7th, 1947. There was a disagreement and an argument that broke out between the two women. This apparently continued on back to the hotel when it was just Jane and Fernandez. Uh, Witnesses said they saw him running from his hotel room late that night, and well, it turns out the next day, Jane Thompson was found dead in her in their hotel room under suspicious circumstances. As you can imagine, Fernandez was already on a boat back to New York. Once back and with a forged will in hand, he took over Jane's property and possessions and kicked out Jane's elderly mom who was living there with her. Oh, oh what man, a dick. Yeah. I do want to mention during all this craziness, whirlwind uh, romance and travel, he kept up his correspondence with his Lonely Heart ads. One of those ads he replied to was placed by Martha Beck. So with that, let me go over Martha Beck's background. Martha Beck was born on May 6, 1920 in Milton, Florida. Due to a glandular problem she was overweight and went through puber- uh, puberty prematurely she claimed oh that sucks i know right <laughs> um she claimed to have been sexually assaulted by her brother but when she told her mother what had happened between the two of them her mother beat her and claimed that she was responsible for what happened in tempting her brother oh uh, classic wow yeah, class act, right? right blaming the victim yep when Martha finished high school, she went to become a nurse. Um, she wanted to become a nurse. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, she went to nursing school in Pensacola and graduated top of her class. Sadly, though, because of being overweight, she had a trouble getting a job in the nurse industry. Because she was overweight? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's still a prejudice today. Wow. She finally took a job as a mortician's assistant and would prepare the female bodies for burial. For someone who already felt alone in life, dealing with dead bodies for a living didn't really help this overwhelming feeling of loneliness. In 1942, she quit her job and moved to California, and she found work as a nurse at an army hospital. Being a single lady and trying to meet new people, she would frequent the bars at night, and sometimes these nights would lead to a one-night stand. Well, one of these encounters of doing it ended in a pregnancy. Dun, dun, dun. I know. She told the soldier. Wait, that he, 
doing it can get you pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) Rhythm Uh. cycle, dude. Rhythm cycle. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta pull out. (laughs) I use the pull out method. (laughs) Works every time. 90%. Just kidding. (laughs) 60% of the time. Probably 40. (laughs) Just making out random facts. Use protection, people. Uh, so the soldier that um, she told the soldier that he was going to be a father and he wanted nothing to do with the baby or more so with Beck. In fact, he was so uninterested and repulsed by her, he tried to commit suicide by throwing himself off a bridge into the bay. What? Because of the what? Yeah. Wow. It was drunken love. How? I can't believe that I did that with that. Yeah. Wow. Well, taking the hint that he wanted nothing to do with her and their baby, she felt embarrassed and ashamed, so she returned to Florida alone and depressed. Now, remember, this was in the 1940s, and being a single pregnant lady was looked upon not too fondly. She bought a wedding band and fabricated a story that she was married to a Navy officer that she met in California who was serving active duty. Well, she realized at one point her husband was soon to come home, And she came up with an idea. She sent herself a telegram, and it said that her husband was killed in action. Upon hearing the news, Beck became hysterical and broke down in tears. The whole whole town mourned with her and for her loss. Uh, The story even appeared in the local papers. Beck received a great deal of attention and sympathy for her loss, and in the spring of 1944, she gave birth to a baby girl. Months later, she she met a bus driver named Alfred Beck, and guess who ended up pregnant again? Hmm. Now, (laughs) he did not want to marry her, but he felt overwhelming guilt, so they married in late 1944, But surprise, as guilt marriages go, it didn't last. I'm guessing that Beck was not actually her maiden name then. No, it wasn't. Sorry. Should have stated that. Okay. I'm like, wow, Uh, the odds. All right. (laughs) Now, um, their marriage didn't last. In fact, it only lasted six months. Well, now she has two kids, no job, and she's back into her depression. This is when she got into the fantasy world of romance books and movies She longed for a man to come and rescue her from her loneliness. In 1946, she got a job at a local children's hospital. Now, Beck was a hard worker and a damn good nurse. She received promotion after promotion and eventually became the nurse superintendent of the hospital. All the success, but still lonely and desperately wanted a man in her life. As a joke by a co-worker, Beck received an application to join a Lonely Hearts Club. Well, she decided with nothing to lose, she placed the ad. But I want to mention she forgot to mention that she has two kids and weighs 250 pounds. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Sadly, it could be a a deal breaker for a few people out there. (laughs) Sadly. Every day, she would rush home and check her mail for a reply. And it wasn't until just before Christmas Day she received one letter. And I want to mention this was her only letter. Oh. The letter was from a well-respected businessman who made his fortune in the import and export trade. His name was Raymond Fernandez. His letter was sincere and eloquently written. He said he was a Spaniard who left his country to come to America for a better business opportunity. He was living alone in an apartment that was just too big for a bachelor, but hoped that one day he could share it with a wife, his wife. 
someone he could meet. Not just any wife. Okay. Yeah. Not just any (laughs) wife. (laughs) Here's a quote from the letter. Actually, it says when he's referring to her, I know you have a full heart with a great capacity for comfort and love since she was a nurse. Well, Beck, as you can imagine, instantly fell in love. She carried this letter everywhere she went and read it every chance she had. She bought expensive stationery and started her two-week correspondence with Fernandez. During this time, they sent pictures back and forth. Now, remember, Beck hid her size, so she would um, always send like a group photo with her and some other nurses, and she was always in the background. Mm. After a few letters, Fernandez made his unusual requests, which he did of all his correspondents, and that was for a lock of their hair. That's creepy. <laughs> I know. Um, it's a red this, flag, red flag. <laughs> I know. Well, he did this so he could use his black magic and put a spell on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Beck didn't just send a block of hair. Like, she sent a generous amount of hair to him. <laughs> Doused in perfume. It's her pubic hair. She's yeah. all trimming it up. Like, you weren't clear on what hair you wanted. <laughs> I had to trim anyway. <laughs> Not in the 40s, man. Not in the 40s. Well, that's true. Huh? Yeah, man. Yeah. Bush, bush, bush. All natural. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, bring the bush back. (laughs) It's making a comeback. I'm excited. (laughs) Okay, let's go on. Let's jump back to Fernandez. (laughs) After receiving the hair from whatever places (laughs) and placing his spell, he figured it was time to finally meet Beck. He booked a train down to Florida, and on December 28th, 1947, he arrived in Pensacola. As you can imagine, I'm sure he was surprised by her weight, but remember, fat, skinny, pretty, or ugly, it wasn't about appearances with him. It was about the con. Uh, also, there are plenty of men out there who will who like heavier women. I just want to point that out. It's true. Yes. She's feeling all self-conscious about being overweight. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she just she's just in the wrong neighborhood. She's all got shape, a- sizes, pretty, right. ugly, doesn't matter. Everyone has the opportunity to find love. That's true. And voodoo, bedside voodoo. Back in the 1800s, it was actually a, a, a very desirable thing to have find a woman who had some meat on her bones. I mean, she came from money. They could afford food. So there you go. <laughs> they could afford excessive she food. Because she could eat. Yeah, because she could, she could, they, the family could afford to have her have second helpings and there whatnot. So there yeah. you go. Came Good with a nice dowry. Good yeah. to know. <laughs> Sorry, sidetrack. No, yeah. I like it. <laughs> So uh, um, she took him home and introduced him to her kids. Just like her weight, he didn't seem to care so much that she had them. Uh, When she put them down for bed, Fernandez made his move. And per Beck, this was the first time she was able to reach sexual fulfillment. So it's that bedside voodoo. (laughs) Bedside voodoo. (laughs) The spell worked. (laughs) Well, after a few days of spending time with each other and having lots of sex, Beck said she wanted to be his and get married. Fernandez did not want this, and he just remembered he had a business trip in New York and had to go back home. Uh, oh, I, 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 I got somewhere to be. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Uh, Beck pleaded I for him remember. to stay, but he said no. When he left, Beck started telling everyone that she was engaged and they were going to be married. So people got together and put together a shower for her. 
But on the day of her shower, she received a letter from Fernandez saying that he would not be returning and that she misunderstood his feelings for her. As you can imagine, this was devastating news for her. So much that she tried to commit suicide. Upon hearing this, Fernandez relented and agreed to let her visit him in New York and stay there for two weeks. How nice. I know. What a gentleman. Well, after a two-week vacation, she returned home, and when she went back to work, she was shocked that she was fired without an explanation. She felt it was because the town knew she had a lover and looked down on her. So she picked up her last paycheck, went home to pack her stuff, got her kids dressed, said goodbye to a few friends, and then got on a bus headed to New York City. On January 18, 1948, Fernandez found Beck and her two children standing there outside his apartment. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> it's every every man's dream. Right? Every bachelor's uh, dream. Awesome. <laughs> He's like, ugh, she sent me too much hair. I put too much spell on it. <laughs> too much bedside voodoo. <laughs> Although it was a setback for his life of crime, Fernandez didn't fully disapprove of having Beck there. He found her something, he found her comforting. He liked the way she catered to him, such as like taking care of all his needs, making his bed, cooking for him. But there was one thing that he didn't like. Her it kids. Was her kids. Mm. <laughs> he told her the kids had to go. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's me or the kids. <laughs> Later, kids. Uh, so Beck decided that giving up her children was the price she had to pay <sighs> to be a part of his life. Yep. On January 25th, 1948, she abandoned her children at the local Salvation Army. How old are they at this point? Do you know? Well, they're probably, they're like, what, three and four years old? Something like that? Yeah, they're toddlers. Yeah, because the one was born in like 44 or something Mm -hmm. like that. They're like uh, three. I think, yeah, like two or three or three and four. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Okay. If that's the price you have to pay for love. <laughs> Makes sense your, to me. Abandon your children at the <laughs> Salvation Army. Dude, I ask that of Eric all the time. <laughs> Can we just drop the kid off? Just, just, I still say, like, let's just take Jackson to the fire station. Wow. No, I'm pretty sure at, at one point it's not allowed anymore. Because don't, don't you remember that mother tried to do it? Her son was like 11. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, you can't do it with a kid this old. No child abandonment. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay, back to my story. Now being kid-free, they had the apartment all to themselves. And it was at this point, Fernandez decided to share all his secrets with her. He brought out all his correspondence, told her of his wife and children, his cons, robberies, and so on. He then declared that he was her man and she was his woman. It was now her duty to help commit crime. Um, to help commit these cons with him. He declared it. Yes. I declare you my woman. Therefore, I, it is. Therefore, you ex, shall obey me. <laughs> <laughs> so they picked a new victim from his um, letters that he had received, and they started making plans for their con together. Oh, so romantic. <laughs> the two traveled down to Pennsylvania, where they met with Miss Esther Henney. Beck was said to be his sister-in-law. Within a week, on, fe- on February 28, 1948, Esther Henney and Raymond Fernandez were married in a brief ceremony in Fairfax, Virginia. The newlyweds, along with Beck, returned to uh, the New York apartment. Now, uh, the newest Fernandez did survive. 
She said during an interview, for four days, he was nothing but polite to me. Then he gave me tongue lashings. I love that. <laughs> Wait, what's a tongue lashing? I, it sounds dirty, <laughs> it's hard to that I don't think that <laughs> So she says, he then gave me tongue lashings when I wouldn't sign over my insurance policies and my teacher's pension fund to him. Things went downhill fast after that. I began to hear stories about how he went to Spain with a woman and she died. Shortly afterwards, the new missus left the apartment minus her car and hundreds of dollars, which was stolen from her. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Hmm. As you can imagine, there was several other women after Esther, and one of them was Myrtle Young of Green Forest, Arkansas. On August 14, 1948, Myrtle and Fernandez were married. This time, Beck um, posed as his sister. Now, of course, being jealous, Beck did everything she could do to stop this marriage from being consummated, even going as far as sleeping in the same bed with the new missus. Total cock block. Wow. Well, Myrtle was sick of this, and after a few days, she started to complain to Fernandez. So Fernandez gave her a heavy dose of drugs, which actually caused her to slip into unconsciousness. With the help of Beck, they put Myrtle on a bus and sent her back to Little Rock. When she arrived, obviously, she couldn't get off the bus by herself because she's unconscious. So she was carried off the bus by the police. And the very next day, Myrtle Young died in Little Rock in a Little Rock hospital. So the cons were coming in slower and slower at this point, And that meant the money was getting low and low. That's when they came across a letter from Janet Fay, a 66-year-old widow who lived in Albany, New York. Janet Fay was a perfect target. She had a lot of money in her bank accounts and a huge apartment in downtown New York. After several weeks of letters going back and forth, Fernandez finally persuaded Fay into meeting him. He traveled to Albany just before New Year's Day. On December 30th, 1948, Beck and Fernandez arrived in downtown Albany and checked into a hotel as Mr. and Mrs. Fernandez. The next morning, he showed up at Faye's door with a bouquet of flowers, and they spent the day together getting to know one another. During a few of their dates, he even brought Beck along, introducing her as his sister. This made Faye feel comfortable to have another woman around and to see like what such a great gentleman this, this guy was taking care of his sister. Soon, Fernandez proposed marriage, and Faye accepted. The plan was to move to Long Island, where Beck had already rented out an apartment. During the first week in January 1949, Faye made the rounds of Albany Banks, clearing out all her bank accounts. She took out over $6,000 in cash and checks. Well, Fernandez had talked Faye into leaving Albany and moved to Long Island. They arrived at Beck's apartment, where she had dinner waiting. Now, the accounts of this night kind of vary. But the one fact that stays the same is Beck was jealous of Faye. She apparently walked into Fernanda's bedroom and saw Faye there with him naked. She said she blacked out and doesn't remember what happened. But what did happen was she beat Faye to death with a hammer. When she snapped out of the trance, Fernandez and Beck cleaned the room, wrapped the body in towels and sheets and pushed her into a closet. Then they went to bed. (laughs) <laughs> Boy, I'm bushwhacked. I could really hit the sack. Boy, that was a lot of work. 
The next morning, they bought a large trunk and put the body inside. They then drove over to Fernanda's sister's house, where they asked if they could store the trunk there for a bit. Eleven days later, they went back and retrieved the trunk and buried it in a cellar of a rented house. Fernandez covered up the grave with cement. For the next week, the pair cashed phased checks and typed letters to her family saying, I am all excited and having the time of my life. I never felt as happy as I've felt before. I soon will be Mrs. Martin, which was his alias, and will move to Florida. They signed the letters Janet L. Fay, but in their haste, they made a crucial error. Fay did not own a typewriter, and she couldn't type. This was red flags for the family, and they notified the police. At this point, the couple was on their way to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where their latest victim-to-be was waiting for him. Her name was Delphine Downing, age 21, and she was a widow and had a two-year-old daughter. They met up in January of 1949. Downing was impressed with this young gentleman by the name of Charles and could see a future with him. Before the month was out, Fernandez and Downing would have sex, and as you can imagine, Beck wasn't happy with this development, although things were about to change. The morning of February 28th, Downing entered the bathroom and accidentally observed Charles, which was his alias, without his toupee. She was shocked to see that he was bald and had an ugly scar on top of his head. She started accusing Charles of deception and fraud. Fernandez tried to charm her and calm her down, but she wasn't having it. Beck finally stepped in to help and offered her some sleeping pills. Downing took the pills and they worked. She calmed down and fell asleep. But at this point, her daughter could sense something wasn't right. And after seeing her mommy yelling and then sleeping, she started to cry. This angered Beck, who started to choke the little girl into unconsciousness and um, gave her bruising around the neck. This made Fernandez very angry because he said when Downey awakes, she's going to see the bruises on her little girl and call the police. So how do you solve this problem? Fernandez went into the other room where Downing kept her gun and shot her in the head as she slept. They wrapped the body in the blankets and took her to the basement. They dug a hole and threw the body in and covered it with cement. Nice. And how old was the little girl? Two. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they stayed in the Downing house for a few days and made their plans for escape. Now, Downey's two-year-old was becoming more of a nuisance. She was constantly crying and refused to eat. And I'm just going to tell you, there's a trigger warning coming up, so it involves a kid. Tune out for a second if you need to. So, Fernandez was over it and told Beck to do something about the child. She needed to get rid of him. She put up a slight resistance and said that she couldn't do that. Fernandez reminded her that she was already too deep into this and that she had to. Ultimately, she agreed and drowned the little girl. They buried the little girl next to her mother in the basement. So, all right, you know, you just killed two people. Like, what are you going to do? You you know, you should make plans, escape, get away. That would be the smart thing to do. Right. right? They're, but they're really exhausted. So <laughs> maybe they took a nap? <laughs> no, they went to a movie. Oh, Okay. <laughs> 
now, the neighbors of Downing's became very suspicious as they didn't see her or her daughter and just the coming and goings of Fernandez and Beck, who they did not know. So on March 1st, the police arrived at Downing's house and questioned the disappearance of the mother and daughter, inquired on who these two house guests were, and ultimately they made an arrest. Now, neither one asked for an attorney, and in fact, Fernandez quickly confessed with an agreement not to be expedited to New York. He signed a 73-page confession, and guess what? They were expedited to New York. 73-page? <laughs> yeah. Sweet Christmas. That's a lot. Wow. So 17 murders were pinned to them. Oh, sorry. JK. 17. Oh. (laughs) I was like, what? I I still had the 73-page confession in my head. 17 murders were pinned to them, but they adamantly denied it wasn't that many. Fernandez even tried to retract his um, statement, saying he lied to protect Beck. Now, speaking of Beck, the papers were not kind to her. The papers called her fat, ugly, big Martha, a 200-pound figure of wrath, unattractive, and a weird woman, along with many other humiliating terms. She actually was so humiliated by this, she wrote letters to the editors of the newspaper agencies asking for them to stop or to retract their statement. And that kind of made me laugh because you're a fucking murderer and you're awaiting trial and that's what's you're hurting on your mind. my feelings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As you can imagine, the trial was a circus show drawing attention all across the country. After 44 days of testimony on August 22nd, Martha Beck and Raymond Fernandez were sentenced to death. They would both face the electric chair. Well, the two were both sent to Sing Sing where they stayed from August 19th until March 8th, 1951, when they were ultimately electrocuted. Uh, Before she was led from her cell to the electric chair, Beck had this final statement to the press. She said, What does it matter who is to blame? My story is a love story, but only those tortured with love can understand what I mean. I was pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. I am not unfeeling, stupid, or moronic. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? It's very true. This news got back to Fernandez, and he said, The news brought to me that Martha loves me is the best thing I've had in years. Now I'm ready to die. He went on to say, So tonight I'll die like a man. I want, it, I want to shout it out, I love Martha. What do the public know about love? It's fair enough. And then they were electrocuted. Wow, hmm. it's sing-sing, huh? And sing sing. So I have a few thoughts. I mean, like brain damage. Like he seemed like a well-respected guy until he got hit on the head. And we all know what that means. Yeah, it's true. We had that discussion before about all that. Mm -hmm. But there is a movie called Lonely Hearts that came out in, I should have wrote that down. I think 2016. No, 2006. My bad. And it's based on these two. Fernandez is played by Jared Leto. Oh, okay. And Martha Beck is played by... Any guesses? Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, she's fat. She's unattractive. Kathy Bates. No, they'd have to be younger. 2006? Well, she always just plays very, like, you know... So this is before Melissa McCarthy. Okay, yeah, yeah. So fat, unattractive, repulsive, around 
230 250 i'm gonna pounds. go with somebody that does not fit that bill at all and i'm gonna go with something like you know a, 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 an angelina jolie or something to that effect that's silly it's salma <laughs> hayek oh okay there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but still i know yeah i, I read that and i was like oh hollywood you're so fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna try and make did, did they actually make salma hayek look unattractive no. I don't think that's possible. I don't either. No. I don't think that is possible at all. Uh, have you seen her lately? <laughs> she's, yeah, she's banging. She's banging. I know. Up. And how old is she? Right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. And yeah. those boobs. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that's the tale of my my lonely heart killers. Well, thank you. It yeah. was a good tale. It was a good tale. Yeah. Yeah. Those. There's a lot of these, actually. There's a few different murderers out there that go by the lonely hearts thing, and um, I'm actually going to be talking about one in a future mini-sode Don't as well. Copy me. So, um, yeah. Anyway, thank you, Mary. That yeah, was a really good sorry. one. Sorry, thanks for everyone for putting up with my sore throat and my cough drop slurps. If you heard them, we put up with a lot. No, it's true. Thanks for letting me be on this podcast. It's true. With you guys. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> we we do it as a favor. <laughs> it's just like you guys are trying to record, and I'm just here. So. <laughs> We're doing you a favor. She keeps showing up every said? time, man. Every week yeah. she shows up here, and it's like, what are you gonna do? You know, I don't. I. It's like she lives here, right? <laughs> Jeez, find a hobby. Listen. I wanted to take a nap. I'm like, can you and Janine just do this one today? (laughs) Yeah. Janine shows up like a little afternoon and I'm still like in my PJs with unbrushed hair. (laughs) It is is the weekend. It's true. And uh, I have my green tea. I have my water. I have my coffee with four shots of Kahlua. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> and a piece of cold pizza. I know, right? At this point, it should be nap time. It should be. Yeah. It's yeah. nap 30. But it's taco time. Yeah. It's... Oh. Do oh. tacos deliver? No, I, w- I have been craving tacos all morning. Like, Eric's like, can I make you scramble eggs? I'm like, yeah, I'll take tacos. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many tacos I've had this last week? So many. Ugh. Like, I've been craving them, you too. You didn't even give me a chance to try to answer that one. Jealous. Man. Okay, I'm just going to zone out thinking about tacos. <laughs> taco, 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 taco kisses for your Ben. Ooh. All right. So first of all, I want to thank Dwayne for the suggestion on today's myth. Dwayne. So, Dwayne. Yep. He's a guy I work with. And um, yeah, he gave me this idea for this one and I love it. So by now, most everyone has either seen or at least heard of the Disney movie Moana. I already hear the groans of please don't try to say that Disney movies count as mythology. Uh, don't worry. I'm not saying that at all. So just stick with me here. I think the groans were like, oh, God, I hope Mary doesn't bust out into song. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even know any of the Moana songs? Uh, so. Don't come at me. <laughs> now, if you're not familiar with the movie, it is a story of a Polynesian girl named Moana who is on the quest to find the demigod Maui so that he can save her island from famine. Now, of course, Disney has a long history of taking original source material and completely changing them to make them family-friendly. Look no further than Frozen, The Little Mermaid, Cinderella, and on the mythology note, Hercules. All of these are pretty bastardized versions of the original tales. Well, for Moana, they actually did quite a bit of homework, and some poor sap had the horrible job of traveling to several Polynesian islands to learn and study the stories in an effort to be as true to the source material as possible. What a trooper. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but I said Polynesian, not Hawaii. Contrary to popular belief, the movie does not take place in Hawaii. It is actually an amalgam of several different Polynesian islands, of which Hawaii is one of them. 
Most people associate it with Hawaii because of the island of Maui. But what they do not realize is that Maui is a Polynesian deity, not just a Hawaiian one. That being said, not all of the Polynesian nations have the same Maui myths. In fact, they can vary quite a bit. But one constant throughout most of the stories is the fact that he carries a huge magical fish hook around with him called, I'm going to slaughter this, Mana Ia Kalani. It's, I think I might have nailed that. I'm kind of proud of myself. I'm high-fiving myself. It's kind of the, his thing, if you will. So, let's start with the Hawaiian myth. In Hawaiian mythology, he is responsible for the birth of the islands themselves. The story goes that he went out fishing with his brothers on a boat and caught his magical fish hook on the ocean floor. He tricked his brothers by saying that he caught a huge fish and needed them to paddle as hard as they can. They pulled so hard that they pulled up part of the ocean floor and thus created the Hawaiian Islands. He also stopped the sun from setting so quickly. His mother, Hina, complained that her bark cloth was not able to dry because the sun would set far too quickly. So Maui climbed a mountain and lassoed the sun around a rope, uh, excuse me, using a rope made, in from, uh, made from his sister's hair. The sun was so afraid that it agreed to make the days longer in the summer and shorter in the wintertime. In Tahitian folklore, Maui was a priest and a prophet that was later considered a god. Much like the Hawaiian myth, Maui captured the sun, but in Tahiti, he used it to create fire. In Tongan mythology, he is also responsible for pulling the islands up with his hook as well as capturing the sun and thus giving fire to people so they could now cook their food. However, there are actually three different Maui brothers, Maui Atalonga, Maui Kisikisi, and Maui Matua. Each of them have their own mythological stories, including how Maui Motua's, uh, Matua holds the earth on his shoulders, much like Atlas. Whenever he nods off in sleep, it causes earthquakes, so the people of Tonga have to stomp on the ground in order to keep him awake. While Maui Kisikisi is the one responsible for pulling the islands up from the sea. He obtained his hook from a fisherman named Tonga Fusifonua. Tonga Fusifonua was hesitant to give up his prized hook, so he told Maui Kisikisi that he could have the hook if he could pick it out from his huge collection of hooks. Maui Kisikisi was having trouble deciding, so Tonga Fusifonua's wife went behind his back and showed Maui Kisikisi which one it was. In Samoa, Maui goes by the name of Ki-Iki-I. He obtained the fire uh, for man by battling the earthquake god, Mafui-I. Ki-Iki-I broke off one of Mafui-I's arms and forced him to teach him how the gods concealed fire in certain trees during the making of the world. So fire is not created so much as it is housed in the wood of the trees. Because Mafui-I was now missing an arm, his earthquakes were no longer as powerful, and this pleased the people of Samoa. Now, I've saved my favorite stories for last, though, and you'll probably want to pay attention to these ones. In Maori mythology, so we're talking New Zealand here, Maui is much more violent, and he has the ability to change form into that of an animal. Instead of a magical fish hook, he uses the jawbone of one of his ancestors as both a club and a hook. Much like some of the other stories, he captures the sun to keep it from moving so fast, but this time he uses the jawbone to beat the sun into submission. He also used the jawbone as a hook to haul up the great fish from the ocean's deep waters. After it was pulled up to the surface, he asked his brothers to keep an eye on the fish while he went to get a priest to perform the proper ceremony to turn the fish into, an, into land. But the brothers began cutting up the great fish, instead of, and this caused the fish to flail and writhe, creating mountains and valleys. And This was the creation of the North Island of New Zealand, which is also called Te Iki'a Maui, 
which means the fish of Maui. Maui's canoe became the South Island, with Banks Peninsula, uh, excuse me, Banks Peninsula marking the place supporting his foot as he pulled up the extremely heavy fish. Therefore, the Maori name for the South Island is Te Waka a Maui, or the canoe of Maui. When Maui's father was performing the baptismal ceremony for Maui, he accidentally messed up the incantation, thus making Maui vulnerable. Now, Maui decided he wanted to make humans immortal, but his father warned him that he would need to kill the goddess of the night and death, Hini Nui Tepo. But this would be very difficult because of the fact that his father had messed up the incantation. Undeterred, Maui heads west with some of his small bird friends. When he found Hini Nui Tepo, she was asleep with her legs open. Maui tell, uh, then tells his friends, I need to go do something that is very dangerous, but it is also going to look very silly. I'm going to turn into a worm and enter her vagina and then exit through her mouth, thus reversing the birth process. However, as you can see, she has obsidian teeth in her vagina, so I need you to stay very quiet. <laughs> his friends promise to stay quiet and Maui begins to enter her. But the sight of seeing Maui enter her as a worm is just too funny to his friends, and they can't help but giggle. This wakes up Hine Nui Tepo. She immediately snaps her legs closed, cutting Maui in half and killing him. Because he was the first being to ever die, Maui, or man, is now mortal. I find it very fascinating that all these islands have the same common stories about Maui and his feats, despite being thousands of miles apart. Most of these islands were settled by Polynesians 2,000 years ago or longer. This, of course, means that the Maui myth has been around for a very, very long time. So, I mean, when you think about it, from Maori people to Hawaii, that's like probably 6,000 miles away. Yeah, you know, all these different, and of course, where did the Polynesians come from in the first place? So they think, and I believe the, the major idea on that is that they came from somewhere around India and then moved out from there. But they were settling islands by canoe more than 2,000 years ago and taking their stories with them about Maui and all the other gods in that region. So just completely mind-boggling to me. That, yeah. that, that that's even possible right yeah I, I think about that kind of stuff all the time like how did australia get settled you know it's in the middle of nowhere you know yeah. an island huge chunk of island land out in the middle of nowhere kind of thing you know right. so same kind of concept on there of how the hell did this happen you yeah know? but yeah they all have the same these same common stories about maui and they go back two thousand plus years so i thought it was kind of a cool little thing on there and you know the more you know and the teeth in the vaginas. <laughs> yeah, obsidian teeth in the vagina, which uh, for some of uh, one of our friends in particular, he'll be saying, told you, told you. I'm pretty sure that was left out of the Disney version. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's in the deleted scenes. It's in the director's Ooh. cut. Got it. Yeah. Got yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Eric. You're very welcome. It was a short one, but Great I thought story. it was kind Thank of a fun you. one. As always. Yes. It yes. was a good one. Thank you very much. So um, I'll go ahead and pass it on over to Janine. I was Janine. hoping for some... Some more teeth and vagina. You were hoping for more vagina? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll see what <laughs> I can work out for you. Next time he'll see what he can dig up. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a weird request. Can you dig up something on more vagina? Sure. Teeth in the vagina? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> There's a movie like that. There is, yes. Yeah, called so Teeth. It, yeah, it's yes, called, called Teeth. Yeah. <laughs> One of our friends who uh, happens to be gay is convinced that all vaginas have teeth in it, so... <laughs> 
Yeah. He sees mine one time. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's based on you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, may or may not be. We may or may not be How getting do you royalties. Think we have this lavish lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> sold you sold rights. your rights. You sold your story rights. I knew it. I knew it. I suspected it. No and now I know it. it. Now you yeah. know it. Yeah. Um. So I I chose to for the mystery to do the Nova Scotia money pit. I'm smiling. At oh you right yeah. Now. I was. That's funny. You did. I was actually really looking into that one. I I was really tempted to do that. That's one. funny because I've been looking into it for, for a while now. That's um, funny. I wasn't. But here's the thing: is I I always have mystery when when Mary has murder, so we know her murders are always long, and this is a whoa. long mystery. So whoa whoa. whoa. First up. You've had the two longest murders so far. <laughs> that is true. Come at me now. <laughs> no, but this is a fun one. I, I was reading about it. And it, it is, it's, it's got a lot of cool yeah, little it story It is a to fun it. one, um, but there's a lot happening. So I kind of had to sum it up so that we could talk about it during this episode. Uh, but if you're really interested, I recommend there's a great documentary um, that, you, that I recommend. It came out in 2014. So this gives you lots of really detailed information, but let's talk about it. So Nova Scotia, so the Money Pit is located off the shores of Nova Scotia along Canada's Atlantic coast. Uh, it's it's actually called Oak Islands. It's on the Oak Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, Oak So it's approximately th- there's approximately 360 islands dotting Mahone Bay out there. Oak Island has it's skirted with like rocks and sand, but like the um, the landmass is native forest and bush cover. <laughs> sorry, I said bush covered. I was just thinking back to. Oh, wow. Sorry, I was thinking back to Mary's murder. Uh-huh. My bad. Um, <laughs> I, I was laughing because I thought you were going to say I was thinking back to Mary's bush. <laughs> I almost did. I almost did. All right. Um, coming back to. The Oak Islands. The discovery of the money pick kind of begins back in like 1795. Uh, teenager named Daniel McGinnis. Obviously, he's Irish. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, he sees a strange light. So he's inshore. He sees a strange light on the island that's offshore. And he's like, oh, that's weird. What is that light? And so he goes out to the island where he saw the light. And he notices that there's this depression uh, approximately about 13 feet in diameter on the island forest floor. So he looks around. He sees that there's all these oak trees, but they're, they're all surrounding the depression. But right where this circular thing is, they're all removed. And then he looks and sees that there's um, block and tackle hung several feet or from a tree limb several feet in the air. Um, that was directly over the shallow hole. So he's like, huh, what is this? This is pretty, pretty cool. So he brings his two friends out, John Smith and, and Anthony Vaughn, to kind of help exa- um, evacuate the site. So they're, they're basically I, I believe treasure- that would be excavate the site, not what evacuate. They're not trying to re- you know, remove anybody <laughs> from there. I probably knew that would happen when I typed that word. I knew it. <laughs> God. <laughs> Um, the boys, they were expected to find a pirate treasure because from the 1690 to 1730s, of course, it's the golden age of piracy and pirates were known to frequent the area near the Oak Islands. In fact, there's one notorious pirate. His name was Captain William Kidd. Mm. 
and he admitted to bearing an unspecific amount of wealth, um, an unspecific treasure in the area, in that area, before he was captured in, ni- in 1699. So they are convinced that there's this treasure, and so their imaginations kind of go wild, and they just start digging. So they dig two feet down, and McGinnis and his friends uncover a layer of flagstone that are extended across a surface of the opening. The boys pull the rock away from the pit to retrieve their golden bounty. And what they find is more dirt. (laughs) 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 So, of course, like, right. Any treasure worth its weight in gold is going to be more than two feet down. I mean, a dead body is at least six. Right. (laughs) And that's such a treasure. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So they continue to dig. They They followed the walls of the previous hole. So, like, the previous hole where that was there had kind of these supporting walls and they just kind of followed that in doing that they found that the the walls started tapering in to about seven feet in diameter they also noticed that there was this imprint and the clay of the tunnel so the walls were all clay and there was this imprint of pickaxes so they get down about 10 feet and they discover a layer composed of rotting wood timbers. And the timbers kind of span the width of the hole, uh, forming like a platform over the hole. So, of course, the treasure is going to be right under the platform. Yeah, duh. Right. Because, you know, we're now 10 feet down mm-hmm. below dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the timbers had been driven into the sides of the tunnel wall to firmly anchor the structure. So, like, they're literally, it's literally like a lid on this um, this pit. This deliberate bar- barrier of the hollow had a hollow sound beneath it. So, like, they're, like, tapping on the top and they can hear it. It's kind of hollow underneath. So, they remove all the this wood then they find their treasure. <laughs> Not really. Um, they were again disappointed. After taking out the barriers, the boys found about a two-foot pocket of air, followed by soil that had settled, settled below. So McGinnis and his friends are like, hey, it's got to be here. Let's keep digging. Because this, I mean, they're thinking, okay, obviously someone else was here before us. So they continue digging. They get a about 20 feet down and they encounter another layer of wood timbers they pull away the wood timbers thinking now they have found their treasure and what do they see staring back at them not a dead body no just soil (laughs) more dirt i love that this i like in picture that this soil like staring back at them like (laughs) it's got eyes it's got (laughs) eyes um it's like the hills have eyes kind of thing after hours of digging they removed about 10 more feet of dirt only to find another layer of timbers that were in embedded into the walls of clay. So McGinnis, they're like, hey, we're really close. We're really far down. Um, so they, they dig down another five feet before defeat sets in because they dig down another five feet and find nothing. <laughs> Later that month... John Smith, he, he purchases the lot containing the pit, which I'm not sure how he did that being a teenager, but th- this is what... <laughs> it probably guess, didn't cost a lot. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I guess like some lot on a random island would right. be pretty cheap. I would love to find some lot on a random island right? for cheap. Yeah. Indeed. Anyway, um, he establishes 
what is called the um, Onslow Company. And he, it's now 1803, and he's like, we're going to, the sole purpose of this company was to recover this this Oak Island treasure. So, like, that's the sole purpose of the company. So, in 1804, they return to the pit, and they start digging in an attempt to uncover the, the supposed riches that were there. Right. Um, the men started removing the backfill from the initial excavation. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just as the first team indicated, you know, how far they'd gone, the Onslow Company... Um, notice marks just like the first team they also notice marks in the clay walls nearly every 10 feet where the wooden timbers have been removed at the depth of 30 feet one of the laborers hit a solid object so they removed the soil uh, and found da 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 another layer of timber yep um, I would have gave up by now. Right? Well, like, if somebody's <laughs> putting all this effort to put all these layers of yeah. timber, though, then there's got to be something right? down here, right? Right. I myself would be curious. Yeah. I, I think I would probably keep digging. Right. Um, especially if I had other men I was paying to do it for me. Roof. Yeah. <laughs> so this time, though, they discovered remnants of charcoal scattered around the platform. So this was like enough uh incentive for them to keep going further because obviously there was some people or something <laughs> that put this here right so right. they go another 10 feet deep find another layer of horizontal timbers and also charcoal but they also this time discovered like a, a sap like substance in the seams so now it looks like in addition to just like putting a lid on this thing they are also like sealing it right so they're like, all right, let's keep going. Go another 10 feet deep. They encounter something that they've never thought possible. Like, like this is like light coming out of the tunnel. And, oh, yeah. and on top of the platform of timbers were scattered da, 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 diamonds. Just kidding. <laughs> Fibers of coconut shell. That's right, which... Coconut is not exactly native to Canada. Right. Exactly. And I knew my encyclopedia would point that out. I didn't even have to write that fact down. <laughs> Coconuts are not native to Canada. So obviously, the most likely source would be the Caribbean. Right. So this is like now they're like, hey, Caribbean pirates has to be a treasure. Let's keep going. So they're now down about 60 feet where they find these coconut fibers. The men go another 30 feet of digging. Um, they go through two additional timber barrier barriers before they make a significant discovery. So now they're like about 90 feet. Obviously, this is deep enough to bury a treasure. And they find a precious stone. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't diamonds. It wasn't a gem. It was a square cut stone tablet mm -hmm. oh. this so, tablet is awesome too i've seen it yeah so it's like so this is not the 10 commandments tablet <laughs> i don't want to you know i don't want to lead you on this is not the dead sea scrolls this is not the dead sea scrolls though it um, might as well be yeah right so on the face of the heavy stone was inscripted a strange strange symbols each character um, had mysterious texts, like they were unique combinations of lines, arrows, dots, that sort of thing, but not any language that anyone that was known. Right. 
So it was really heavy as well. But despite its significant weight, the crew hoisted the rock out of the pit for further examination. It was an encoded message. And for decades, people really didn't know what was on this rock. But finding this rock that was clearly altered or clearly imprinted with some sort of code or message was enough for them to go further. Not until the 1860s were they able to actually find someone who examined the symbols and provided a credible translation. Now, again, like the Oslo, the Onslow group didn't know what the translation was at the time. So this is like many years after. Um, but this guy, this professor at, um, he was a university professor of language. Mm-hmm. He successfully decoded the tablet and the inscription and said that it was like a cipher between unique symbols and letters. And he said that it said 40 feet below 2 million pounds are buried. Mm-hmm. So that's what his, but again, this is like years later. Right. Okay. Um, so unknowing what that tablet really said, the men of the company, they needed to go. So a court, if, if they were, if they knew what the tablet said, they'd need to go like 130 feet to get to this treasure if the tablet was accurate and they've already gone 90. So, but again, it's enough intrigue for them to keep going. So they go another 10 feet after probing, after probing. So they go another 10 feet. They find the timber again with the sap and they decide, you know what? We're exhausted. Let's just see if we've hit the treasure and they probe through the sap with a crowbar and they come up with nothing. So they're like, okay, obviously we didn't hit the treasure. We're going to take a rest. We're going to go to bed and get up the next morning and hit it again. So they come back the next day and the treasure is now 63 feet below water. Mm. So during the night, this water comes in, literally just fills up this hole that they just spent all this time digging which the, the, the hole is not like right by the beach or anything. It no. is an island, but it's like in the middle of the island. It is in the middle of the island. Yeah. Yes, good call. So like the fact that it filled with water was really bizarre. Um, so they're like, hey, let's let's just drain it. So the crew takes buckets. They start draining the pit. And every time they remove water, after a while, they're like, hey, we're going nowhere. So every time they remove water, it just comes back in. Mm-hmm. So the Onslow company realized that the pit would require more than, you know, strength and brute force um, to get past all the dirt timbers. So they decide they need some technology. So they hire this guy, Mosier, who has a mechanical pump to clear the tunnel and allow the men to resume their work. Immediately after Mosier installed the operating, the uh, started operating the pump, the water level slowly began to recede down to the clay walls. Then at the depth of approximately 90 feet, just eight feet shy of where they had previously left off, the pump gives out and fails. <laughs> so, Because of course it does. Right? So water comes back in steadily. And at this point, the team is like, ah, oh, fuck it. We're done. <laughs> and they, well, I guess accurate time, they would be like, Oh, we're done. Let's retreat. I don't know. I still like the idea of them saying, oh, fuck it. Maybe they did. I, I, I would have at this point. <laughs> I was long gone. <laughs> so the following year, the Onslow company comes back. They return to the pit. They have this brand new idea to capture the treasure. So despite all of their attempts 
um, and depleting the company's financial resources. Now, remember, like the this the whole reason this company existed was just to get this treasure. So, despite all their attempts, rather than concentrate on the pit itself, they decide that they're going to bypass all of the tunnel snares and simply avoid the pit altogether. So their new strategy is to do a new shaft parallel to the pit and then at a, about 110 feet go where they feel like they're below the water, tunnel over towards the pit and retrieve the treasure. So they started a new tunnel 14 feet southeast of the original hole Jeez. and not long however before they um before they were disillusioned because they, <laughs> they were like at this point they're still not hoping but not long just 12 feet down water starts coming in through this new tunnel Dante. yeah it wasn't very deep either no. when it started happening to this one no. but mind you so 12 feet doesn't sound very deep but no. i've seen a 10 foot foot uh, hole and it's pretty deep. It is, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I mean, comparative to 100. Well, the other feet, one, yeah. they were down to like 80 feet or whatever 90, before yeah. 90 feet before it started filling with water. Exactly. So at this point, they're drained of finances. The company is finally forced to say, "Fuck it, the pit wins. <laughs> we're done." <laughs> and they um, they abandoned it basically. Yeah. yeah. So following this expedition. The strange site on the Oak Island lay undisturbed, submerged between below all this water. And it and it remains that way for about 40 years. Then in 1845, a member of the original dig, so Anthony Vaughn, who was one of the original teenagers, helped form a new company called um, Truro, T-R-U-R-O. Truro or something like that. Truro. Truro. Company, mm-hmm. um, and they start digging. So they form the company, but it's like four years later before they start digging. So right. 1849, they have all this funding um, from investors, and they begin the they attempt to start digging again. So the team arrived. So they still don't even know what this this stone said mm-hmm. because that was until like 1860. Right. So they still don't even know that it said there's a treasure below. They're just going off of the fact that there's they feel there. like there should be a treasure. Right. Keep coming across wood timbers and coconuts right. and whatever else. Right. So they go in, the team arrives to the site. They continue where Oslo company left off. They start removing water from the pit after two weeks against the debris and the water of the pit. The crew get at least 86 feet deep. The next day, though, like, it didn't last very long. The workers were perplexed to find that the surface of the water had returned to at least 60 feet. Seeing the water had returned, the men fashioned a wood platform that they mounted over the pit and then through an opening in the floor of the structure, the men plunged a hand-operated auger into the water. So now they're just basically kind of doing like a kind of a core drilling mm-hmm. to kind of see what they're dealing with. They hoped that the contraction would give the the contraption would give them an idea of what was buried beyond 98 feet because they'd never nobody's ever gone beyond that. So the result of the probing, um, <laughs> Mary Mary finally comes along alive when I say probing. <laughs> That's like when they use the term penetration in a meeting. Right. Like I can't keep a straight face. <laughs> We've penetrated the marketplace. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's so many other words you could use. <laughs> oh yeah, and and it's always men that use it too. Not mm-hmm. and not being 
Yes. I'm not being sexist. You're just looking for an opportunity to say it, though. Well, no, I like I'll say it every minute, I every chance See, I get. See, there you go. Because I'm always like, you could penetrate me. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I don't really say that. <laughs> she does. Um. So the they they take this auger, they get to the depth of about 98 feet with the auger, and it confirms what they already know. They it's a layer at 98 feet. It's a layer of spruce, approximately six inches deep. Uh, following that surface, there's the auger sunk through about one foot of absent material and then again, a wooden platform. So it's what they already know, right? There's a wooden platform, there's a space of air and then more dirt. Right. So this hand powered drill that they have, they noticed something different though. The auger then penetrated a series of strata consisting of four inches of oak this is new right followed by six inches of spruce before entering a seven feet of clay so now this is all new Mm -hmm. to the crew the oak and the spruce represented more than just a new configuration of platforms obviously the auger had found three small oh in addition (laughs) sorry as they pulled the soil the auger had also found Three small links of gold chain. Yes. So they're like, we're there. There's there's obviously this wooden object buried beneath the timbers because they had timbers and then they had this oak and then they retrieved this metal. So they're like, we're there. We got it. So they send the auger down again, this time to probe, to probe the cast, the, the like the clay cast or the... Sorry, the cast is like this cavern they found of about 114 feet. At this depth, the auger hit another platform of timbers. Although no additional gold was retrieved from the drilling, the device did produce further confirmation of oak and coconut fibers. Mm-hmm. So they, although they were expecting these gold coins, they still thought it was convincing proof to keep going. So after the fourth drilling, the foreman had brought up something. So that again, they're at about 114 feet. The crew saw him wipe the dirt away from an object, then slip it into his pocket, and then he left the island. And he relinquished all ties with the company. <laughs> so like he not found shady something, at right? All, no, right? not at all. I bet um, it was just a really pretty seashell. <laughs> right. Or he was just like, fuck it, this is all we're gonna find, and then he's gone. So his name was P- I'm going to say it wrong. Um, Piblado. He okay. disappeared that day. Mispronouncing is just part of our charm. <laughs> it's a part of mine, I guess. Um, he disappeared that day. He would not, but he wasn't absent for long. So he went back and whatever he pocketed from the drill, the debris he'd found, uh, inspired him to petition the authorities to license uh for a license to conduct his own excavation on the island. But they were like, uh, no, you can excavate as long as it's not part of where someone else has already claimed. Right. Has to be and so he's land. like, well, yeah. fuck that. You know, I don't want to test where, you know, yeah, what's the point? Yeah, right. They bury it all over the damn island. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So he, he's like, after receiving the rejection for purchasing the lot that contained the pit, he was like, you know, I'm done, whatever. I'll just take whatever it is I found, which we don't know what it is yet, um, and just be gone. Right. So 
the Truro 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 <laughs> Truro Company. It's like a churro. I know with a T. Yeah. Yes. Left the site. Uh, left the site for the same reason. So when they returned in the summer of 1850, the team brought with them a, a renewed sense of purpose. And they had this new strategy. So similar to the Onslow, um, Onslow Company, their second effort, the members of the company devised a plan to descend a parallel shaft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At the depth of 109 feet, the new tunnel would burrow horizontally and then thereby, thereby enter the money pit and then they would get some daring spelunkers who would go down and retrieve the treasure and they would all be rich and happy. Yay. Yay. But the new tunnel, da 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 da, filled with water. Duh. As the team worked to drain the, um, the water, the laborers made two valuable observations. First, the water in the shaft was salty. Second, the level... <laughs> <laughs> It was not me this time. I knew it was me that when I used the word shaft. Salty and shaft. Salty and shaft. The second was the level of the water rose and fell with the tide. So what did they conclude from that? That the water's coming from the ocean, even though they're in the middle of this island. So they set out to discover where this water's coming from. And they discover that on the southern portion of the island, the shore is actually man-made. So they decide they're going to dam it up and figure out what's going on. So they dam it up and they find these shafts, more shafts. <laughs> and these five shafts connect into like one. So they're like, ah, I see what's going on here. There's a like a sewer system. Yeah, there's like a feeder vent that right. kind of feeds the water through. You have one too many shafts. <laughs> there's five. <laughs> That's too many. <laughs> and every time we say shaft, I don't even think of the, the naughty thing. I think of John Shaft. I keep wanting to say, damn right. Uh, every time you say shaft. See, and I think it? of the naughty shaft. <laughs> or... Not the naughty shaft, the fantastic. The fantastic the shaft. fantastic shaft. Anywho. Um, so now they're really excited again because they think, hey, we can remove this water. So they decide they're going to cover up this this single shaft because the five go into one. They're mm-hmm. going to they're going to damn it cover off. it off. Yeah. And then that's going to take care of the water. But again, <laughs> later that year, after like a year's worth of work, they they can't they can't figure out they even with the dams, they water still coming in and they're like, we're done. We have no money left. I hope that somebody did a bad pun and said, I'll be damned. <laughs> That's exact. I'll be damned. I'll be damned. I'll be damned. We're broke. And <laughs> I'll be damned. The damn didn't work. Yep. Okay. Anyway, the company disbands because they're out of money. Oh. So about 10 years later. So now we're like 1861. The next group comes along there. They were named the Oak Island Association. Same thing, like a whole bunch of people donating money to get to this treasure. Essentially, like the same things happen. Like they're they're like, we'll get this this time. They decide to do this like parallel shaft. This time they're going to go 118 feet and they're 18 feet west of the original pit. So they're definitely going to get in there and get this. This This time for sure. This time for sure. However, one foot from penetrating the money pit or what they think is the money pit. (laughs) (laughs) water flooded the tunnel of course it did 
So then they're like, well, we have this new technology. We have these, the, the pumping gin. Um, clearly we can, you know, pump out the water and get to the, get to the treasure. But again, it just, it just keeps filling with water. Uh, so the crew determined that if they burrow horizontally in a new direction, that the main chamber um, would just be feet, feet away. Feets? Feet. Feet away. Feet away. I like feet. It works. <laughs> feet away. Um, so they're sort of essentially designing, designing like a second access tunnel where it's not going to fill with water. Uh, the team decided to send surveyors into the access tunnels in an effort to to figure out what's causing all the flooding. And then these tunnels that they sent them into all of a sudden cave in. And above ground, if you were above ground when the cave in happened, there, there was a crash. You could hear the crash. Um, the surveyors made it out alive. But uh, the water began rushing into their new tunnel. The crew heard another sound beneath the weight of the oncoming water, the timber that they had supporting the walls just kind of collapsed. So now the whole tunnels, the whole pit is now kind of collapsed. The, the original walls. Original, yeah. yes, thank you, the original walls. Now we're in this hole, there's this hole, it's approximately 112 feet deep, walls collapse in, and Which again, all the supporting things are now busted yes. out of there. So again, it's a failed attempt. Yeah. So the thing is, with this new collapse, um, there was a discovery, though, within the water, they found a yellow dish or a dish with a yellow bottom. Pieces of juniper worked at either end. So like kind of like fiddled, fiddled, twiddled. What do you call it when you do it with a knife? Whittled. Whittled. Thank you. (laughs) 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 It was twiddled away. Yes. So it's twiddled away. Um, they also saw oak timber and a, a spruce slab that had a hole in it from where they had been drilling. Hmm. So with the auger. So the men, they're like, all right, let's install this cast iron pump, steam engine. Let's get rid of this water. So they do that. A boiler explodes. Two men die. The, the company continues to try and get to this treasure, but they just get, come up with like block after block after block. Right. So in 1866, the company is like, all right, fuck it. You win. We're broke. We're out. That's what they said. You win, hole. <laughs> you win, hole. We're out. We're outie. <laughs> um, so now in, we're back now to 1890, someone discovers this silver piece somewhere outside of the pit. So reinvented reinvigorates <laughs> Vinegar- <laughs> reinvigorates there we go thank you um <laughs> i like vinegarates <laughs> so the oak island treasure company now comes back in there and they try many of the same things that the company other companies weren't successful with but they actually managed to reach 153 feet damn um and they're extracting debris from this pit and in the dis- in the extraction as they're pulling out all this debris, they would take it to the courthouse and then the, they were scouring through it at the courthouse. And so they find this little piece of parchment paper and in looking at it, it looked like it had the letters VI on it. Hmm. Uh, and it was handwritten on the parchment paper. Okay. So they end up sending it to like Harvard University specialists who authenticated it saying, yes, this is parchment paper and yes, this was written 
I think you might have just invented a new word too. Authentified it. I like that. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I like it. It's like kind of like a mix of identifying and authenticating. Yes, authenticated. Authenticated. It makes sense. No, it does. It's in it's the dictionary. Too. It's going to be in the dictionary soon. Right now, now I've started a trend. There you go. Authenticated. <laughs> authenticated. Say so, so now. There's this like mysterious piece of paper, right? So there's this Shakespeare like. There's this Shakespearean conspiracy that says that that this group of people believe that Shakespeare wasn't really Shakespeare, that because he was like uneducated, that it was really Sir Mix a lot. <laughs> Sir Mix a lot. Yes. <laughs> Sir Francis Bacon. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've heard this theory before. Yeah. The, the... Sorry, I don't know how I blinked on the word bacon. Right. Um, so <laughs> they think that Bacon secretly wrote what what Shakespeare was credited for. He secretly wrote it, credited Shakespeare for it because he didn't want to be known for writing. He's plays. the ghost writer. Right. Okay. He's the ghost writer. So they think that this little piece of parchment paper that was found in this money pit um, is proof that he was really Shakespeare. <laughs> that doesn't so, make much sense to I, me, but okay. Okay. So, but there's like this whole conspiracy that goes with it. Oh, I get that. But the yeah. whole VI thing, I mean, oh, yep, that, that seals the deal. <laughs> Totally. It has, so it has something to do with um, Sir Francis writing, um, who wrote this book. So he was boistering his opinion, and it was in this book that said he details uh, the self-flooding tunnel described in the text. Has It has many convinced that. So he, in his book, he's describing like a self-flooding tunnel. And so they, so the conspiracy is they think that the money pit is the, is the tunnel, and da-da-da-da, that's... Answer to their conspiracy. That, that still doesn't answer jack shit about William Shakespeare. That doesn't address <laughs> that at all. So there's like a whole theory about it. Like if you're interested, watch the documentary. Because of course I can only touch on it a little right, bit. Right, right. Um, so back to our tunnel. So the the company that currently is working on it, they go broke. They can't find anything. And years and years go by. And this the, the same story over and over. Like people purchase it. They do the treasure hunting. And they... They end up going broke. Now we're in 1931. Uh, Chappelle brothers come in and they're like, we're going to buy this. We're going to find the treasure. Uh, same story. Right. Undergone. This time for sure. Yeah. Oh, this time for sure. So um, they they drill. They want to go down parallel to the tunnel and dig, dig over, <laughs> and go dig over and right. find the treasure. Uh, so they're they're drilling approximately six feet south of the money pit. So that's not very far. Right. Um, they're able to make, even though they weren't able to find the treasure, they were able to make some discoveries. So first, they discovered between 115 and 130 30 feet deep, there's a new shaft. The men recovered an anchor flute that was sunk into the side of the tunnel, so in the clay, and... Um, it resembles the 250-year-old Arcadian. No, not Arcadian. It has no R. Acadian. Yeah. Acadian, not Arcadian. It's Acadian. Acadian axe, mm-hmm. which was a miner's pick. Um, and then they also discovered like the remnants of an old oil lamp. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So they finally actually some getting some right? stuff here, other than plates and random parchment. Little parchment paper. Right. They these guys sunk about forty thousand into the pit before giving up. And this is in the 1930s? 1930s, Okay, that's a lot of money. Right? So then along 
comes along uh, Gideon Hedden. Now we're, um, he, and it was just years after Chappelle's gave up, he began to work and did the same thing, you know, hey, we're going to find this treasure. And he sinks about 50,000 into it before giving up. So then now we're 1960s. They're the Ristal family. They come along, just this this little family. And they're like, we're going to find the treasure. But in their, in their working on the pit, uh, the father like standing over the pit, it, it starts relieve it starts releasing this gas that makes him like pass out and he like falls into the pit. Oh. And so his son was like, Oh crap, dad. And so he runs over there and then the gas, you know, gets him and then he falls into the oh, pit. Oh Jesus. I know, right? And then two workmen come over to be like, What the fuck's going on? And they, they, they run over the and they fall into the pit. Right. Right. So so now this family's out. Um Did they die? Yeah, they they died. So so all of all of six people have now died because of the pit. Because remember right. the two, the two that, yeah. right, right, right. So um, the explosion or whatever, right? right. Okay. So 1965 comes around. Robert Dunall he comes in. He's like, I'm gonna find it. We got all these new technology, and he did a lot of different different things where he like kind of tried to go parallel to the um, shafts to like go in mm. that way. Um, he spent about 130,000. Jesus. Yeah, in this in 1965 and he was like I'm done, I'm broke. And the only thing he found that was different from whatever everyone else found was like he found bits and pieces of porcelain plates. So at least he's like people are still finding stuff. Right. So now 1967, the Triton Alliance comes around. They drill, they drill over 60 holes in the surface because at this point, there's so many shafts that are going parallel. Nobody knows where the original is. Oh, shit. Right? So they're like just digging holes everywhere. They're like, maybe here, maybe here, maybe here. Um, and nobody can find it. So same story. They sink a lot of money into it. Don't find shit. And it's just, it's like story after story after story of like that. Um, and then, like, at this point, it's like 150 feet deep, right? Which is just fucking. I mean, yeah. How the fuck did pirates, right, dig 150 foot goddamn hole? And the time it would have taken to do this, right? And the all effort, the layers that they right. had to end up putting no up timber sense. and everything it else makes no sense. Yeah, it's just like the world's so largest. Much rum it, was it's, involved. <laughs> it seems like it's the world's greatest practical joke, right? They do so, little teases this whole way yes, or whatever because they're like maybe this time, maybe that's where the term "kidding" comes from. <laughs> just <gasps> kidding. It's the pirate William. It's the pirate kid. kid. Yes. I love that theory. See, there you I go. I love that theory. It's a practical so, joke. So you bring me to the point of theory. So now we're like 1980s. By the time 1980 came around, it just became a tourist site. Right. Now we have like basically just theorists of right. what is happening. So there, there's still the theory that it's a pirate treasure. Um, a lot of people still believe it was Kid, Captain Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, like you had pointed out he was just kidding (laughs) but some believe natural occurrences so they think that because there's a lot of sinkholes in the area that stuff would debris would wash up on the shore get trapped in a sinkhole and then that sinkhole would just get covered with other stuff and then it would just repeat itself right where i find a hard time with this theory is there was like like literally like every 10 feet there was these the little platforms, right? Platforms, yeah. right? So I don't know if that's a viable theory, but that's one of them. There's also another theory that it's a very holy Christian site. So 
Another person, uh, another ling- linguist or some Whatever. college-educated professor somewhere in Europe deciphered the stone. Remember the stone? Right. He deciphered it as saying, the people shall not forget the Lord, the offset, the hardships of winter, and onset of plague. He shall pray to the Lord. So, hmm. so okay. they they so they think it's like a, a like a holy site. But there are also some that believe that it's it's the Knights of Templar or the Freemasons. <laughs> right. So we all know Indiana Jones and Freemasons weren't in. in so well, there was the, the Templars. That's yes, true. Yes, the Knights yeah. Templar. The Knights of Templar yes. was in Indiana Jones. Right. Um, and the theory is they created the pit to hide the. Um, the Holy Grail. Holy Grail. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. So they hide so it's it in like, Nova Scotia. So it's like all these, tra- right, yeah. right? Because it's, you know, clear across in the other continent. Nobody's going to look there. And then we're going right. to make all these traps. Right. Um, I have a theory. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so we remember the stone. Yeah. The stone had. The tablet. Yeah. Yeah. This really bizarre coded message language. Oh. It definitely could be. I think it's aliens, Poor and I now. think yeah. I think they're saying, "Fuck you, stupid people." They're just we have the last joke laugh on us. Yeah, oh, coconut yeah. fibers and yeah. all the other. They're shit. like, we have the last laugh. You guys are just idiots, <laughs> and they're like just laughing, just laughing all the way, all the way to the bank. Well, it, I don't know. Wait, how the aliens are laughing all the way to. <laughs> yes, they're <laughs> yeah. making a huge. Actually, I don't know how this. they're making money off of it, but whatever. I'd like to. I'd like to imagine somebody's they are. got a running bet going. Just how many holes do you think these fuckers are going to dig? This is going to be brilliant. <laughs> right? This is going to be so good, guys. So, an elaborate joke. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I I'm I'm sticking with the William kid thing. Um, as far as you know, why or whatever, I have no idea. Uh, You're thinking pirate pirates. I think it is pirates. But then again, there's another thing that keeps going into my brain is, so this is 1800s. Who the hell is making an artificial beach on an island in the right? 1800s? That's weird in itself. With its own little, it's got to be pirates those, or aliens. Those weird little inlet things pirate and all that. Yeah. Aliens. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yes. Duh. Pirate aliens. Duh. Um, there was a quote somewhere that I read too. The Blackbeard, the, mm. the famous pirate, yeah. had said something about hiding a treasure in a, a, a never-ending pit or a water pit or something like that too. But like, I don't know. You'd have to really research to see if Would, that pans out. You gotta wonder if they did hide, you know, bury legitimate treasure. Why make it so goddamn difficult even for them to get it out? Because it's not there. It's not there. They're just like. They're like, dudes, it's right over here in the in the look. Here's here's the a hint of, of it it's right, right over here. here in like this like hollowed out tree, and you guys are digging in this pit. You yeah, yeah. It, I really think that it's like the world's greatest yeah. practical joke. It has to be like I don't know, like it's so bizarre to me. And and again, I just touched the surface. I know my story ran a little long for a mystery, but I, I still just touched the surface of like. Of all so the history. So what if someone was stranded on the island and had nothing better to do? Then dig a 160-foot hole. Yeah. And, and then they're like, they're like in this hole. They're like, fuck, I'm down in this 160-foot hole. How am I going to get out? Yeah, so then they start building their way back out with the timbers every mm-hmm. 10 feet. Plus, stranded on this island. This island's not that far off a shore. There's actually a, a, a road well, now that goes over to the island. Not, not then. Not originally. But there was one originally. Then there was one built. But... It wasn't offshore because remember our original 
person he saw it offshore saw the light yeah he saw the light so he it's went not over far to offshore it. but they did they did actually build a like a causeway okay, over to you're it. stranded right. on an island <laughs> not too far <laughs> from shore <laughs> yeah but you can't swim uh-huh okay you, you dig a hole okay 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 and you're living in the hole which explains well how did the coconut get there Mm. it washed up on shore and then they yes. ate it and the different types of trees that are not uh, i mean because some they're of them were spruce they're not there anymore they they're extinct they died <laughs> <laughs> that was like with the spruce and the oak right was different than what was what's on the island on the island right which is why when they hit that they were like oh what the fuck this yeah this is weird okay here's my other theory the people digging for this someone's dropping the shit in the hole <laughs> Just like, oh, look what I found. Guys, we're so close. Look, I just found a plate. Yeah, yeah. a plate. I it's just... got like crate and barrel sticker on the back or something. <laughs> it's like all broken up, but you can see the CRA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's it's crazy. It's And like I said, there's so much more on it. That was so time consuming as far as their dedication to this whole and find out like why they call it the money pit. Like all yeah. these people are just sinking money uh-huh. into getting this treasure. And I mean, they can pay me for theories <laughs> and I'll give it to them. <laughs> I'm not going to do any hard labor for this shit. <laughs> I already told you like three, three shovels into it that I was out. You're like, I'm done. Like, I got a blister. Oh, I do get blisters so See? easily. There you go. <laughs> Well, that was awesome, Janine. Good job. Thank You're welcome. You. Sorry yeah, about the link. That's what kind he of a said. Fun st- oh wait, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> never apologize. He would never apologize for the link. <laughs> so it, that was no, that was a really good story, and it does deserve its time on it because yeah. it, it's a crazy story, and it, it's obviously still going. Though you know, you got to wonder with today's technology, sonar technology, and all that other stuff, if somebody could go out there and actually find anything down there with and, all that. And they, I'm sure people have got like I didn't get. Um, past like past like the 80s, the 80s when it became the tourist spot right. but I'm sure people have gone out there and looked and at this point it's yeah. kind of one of those I kind of just don't want to know yeah. what's down there yeah. I like the idea of it just being a mysterious whatever yeah yeah Sam I think that it goes into a cavern where there is a spaceship hidden <laughs> And oh, <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All I, right. I really don't know. As as long as there's money, I would keep looking. <laughs> if you guys have theories out there, let us know what you think is going on with the island. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it, uh, listeners. So anyway, thank you for joining us again, everybody. As always, yes. And of course, leave us reviews. Leave us your feedback. Join the group on Facebook, whatever. Send us stuff on Instagram, on Twitter. You know where to find us by now at this point. So Thanks again, everybody. Have yourselves an awesome day. Bye. Bye.